Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. His underdogs was probably even a, a greater achievement in some respects. Well, a bit of gloating here, quick, Pete. It's out of... Uh, Moose Henwood, I'd, I'd never met him before, and it was last year after a Sydney game when a uni mate said, let's catch up at the Cathedral afterwards. Oh, uh, yeah. Chatting away. Yeah. One of the guys says, uh, you know, you're the sports nut amongst us. That's Russell Parker's brother over there. So I've yelled out, hey, mate, Russell Parker, 7 for 13, including a hat-trick to Wingland Earl, the 73-74 district premiership. Yeah. And he walks <laughs> over and goes, Fuck me, it's Rain Man. So, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've sold him a copy of a book and then Moose has, uh, get, Moose has gone, no, nah, you're not going to get me, pal. Oh, so, really? He, yeah, so he's then, he's Googled a Nord Reserve side. Remember back then, all they did was initial, you know, your first initial, so yeah. T-Simons, yeah. you know, it wasn't any of your name. Yeah. He goes, right, if you can name every single player, this is from a Nord 1981 budget he'd Googled oh. somewhere, I'll buy a book, Money for Jam, so I know, very easy that one. He threw the money on the yeah, table and went, too, too bloody good, so yeah, a bit of fun. You are the best, so he would have loved that. He did laugh, it was good, yeah. He's so. a beautiful man, an so, absolutely beautiful man, and yeah, poor old Russell Parker, um, yeah, he played a lot of juniors at Glenelg, as you know, Yeah, good cricket and all the rest of it, so he had good friends with a lot of um, good older mates of mine too that come through the Glenelg graves in those days. Yeah, no, he was a good cricketer. Part time yeah. leggy and one Glenelga played state cricket and just got thrown the yeah. ball when Glenelga, Glenelga virtually gone in mm-hmm. district final and he uh, took a hat trick yeah. and turned the game. So, yeah. Did he play league football at Glenelga or did he go to South and play? It might have been South. Yeah, yeah. I think he went yeah. to South to play league footy. I don't yeah. think he played seniors at Glenelga. No, I just remember but... that because at that stage, Australia or in New Zealand, and Ian Chappell made a big thing of it amongst the Australian team, so which Russell obviously heard about yeah. and greatly appreciated. So anyway, so yeah, yeah so right. eighty seven, you're on the other end of it on a you know, and probably North you know, did deserve one in that in that time as well. But yeah, yeah, through that mate. Although you're at well, uh, sorry, no, you're at Hawthorne, aren't you? Yeah, my apologies. Th- funny story though. I played my year at Hawthorne, didn't play many senior games, and we had an unofficial football trip to Tasmania. Um, they used to call themselves the Splinter Group 
though there's about 20 of them, Bacchanara, Rod Lester-Smith, um, Dermot, Jason, um, a lot of really good guys, Chopper Hanley who came over here. Yeah, for Centrals, yeah. Anyway, we're at a pub in, in Hobart and the game was um, broadcast on the ABC nationally um, at that stage and I said to Jason Dunstall, who was sort of my mate in those days, can we go to a pub where we can watch on the TV? And he's gone, well, yeah. So they rang Andy Bennett, um, yep, uh, who was yep. uh, yeah, mixed up with Hawthorne, of course. And he picked us up four at a time in his car and drove us to this hotel. And by the time we got there, 15 minutes in the first quarter, we were already five goals down. And I'm going, well, that's not good. But I said, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll beat them. We'll beat them. And anyway, half time, we're getting thrashed. And at the end of the game, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just broken heart and Jason walked over and grabbed me and said, Simo, it's not your fault. Come and have a beer, mate. But I was just shattered. I couldn't believe we could get done by 80-odd points. But, yeah. I mean, you understand the psyche of footballers. They lost two in a row. There's probably no way knowing they're going to lose three in a row to the same club. You just, whatever you had to do, you wouldn't let it happen. And they were just ultra-aggressive that day, probably in the same vein as we were the previous two years. And Thoroughly deserved it. And, um, you know, my cousin Mike Armfield played there, so I was happy yep. for him. And Michael Noonan and, you know, David Tiller, they're some great guys. Wilds. Getting around their side and Wilds and all the rest of it. So um, no harm done, really, in the end. It's probably fair enough. How about your year at Hawthorne, though? You didn't probably pick the easiest side to uh, to go and try and uh, get a game and make an impact, though, mate. Yeah, look, I, I, <laughs> Chris McDermott and I had been off for a three-year deal each to go to Brisbane Bears at yep. um, the start of 87, sort of end of 86, and Chris decided he wasn't going to go, so then I decided I wasn't going to go, because as you know, we're pretty tight, so Galil signed Bone Up almost overnight, straight away, and then and I remember going home late to his place at Marino one night, and his sister had left a note saying Hawthorne was chasing him, but he signed to stay with Galil the next day, so Hawthorne must have looked around and gone, who's next and must have been me. So they started chasing me. Anyway, I signed to stay at Galil. Harry offered me a deal and it was two and a half times what I'd been getting before. And um, so I signed to stay at Galil. And then a week later, Harry came back to me and said, the board aren't happy that, to pay me the money. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'll go to Hawthorne. So I actually okay. got him to sign a waiver to get me off the contract. And Alan Jeans was ringing me and, it was sort of a funny time, and I wouldn't ever think I was probably good enough to go over there, but I was always intrigued to know what it would be like yep. to be over there. And um, I didn't, I just didn't think it through, really. And I walked out of the train on the first night, which wasn't until January. I didn't go over there till January, but I trained pretty hard over here on my own. I walked out the first night, and I looked around and thought, what? it just might be hard to get a game here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, just a little... Yeah, that's how it proved and proved to be. And I, I didn't get a game in the two night games we played. I played one or two of the trial games. And the last week before the first game, um, they always have an intra-club trial, which they still do these days, really. And um, it was a tribute to Dipper Day. And Dipper won the Brownlow in 86. So the last thing Dipper was interested in was playing an internal trial game. <laughs> the week before the first game. So I'm standing him and I'm desperate. So uh, I played really well, probably got best on ground in that game where Dipper wasn't really interested or trying. And I got picked uh, the next week 
for the first game against Carlton at Princess Park, which was a sellout. It's only held 35 or 40,000. Yeah. Um, it was a funny story because it was Stephen Cunningham's first game as captain of Carlton. He'd been there in 86. That's but right. It was his yeah. first game as captain. And um, I'm lining up, and they're Hawthorne are unfurling the premiership flag from 86. And I'm standing there about five along with my hands on my back thinking, what the hell am I doing here? And I look over at Stephen and made a funny face at Stephen. And Stephen made a funny face back at me as well because it was his first game as captain. So it was like two 16-year-olds from yeah. from Brighton. From, and from the Lille, Bay, yeah. You know, thinking, how the hell did this, how did this happen? So um, that was a funny, funny moment. But, um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, I played that game, got dropped, played well in the twos. Got picked again against Collingwood, I think. Yep, I think yep, it was correct. at Victoria Park. I can't even remember. And then got dropped for a few weeks. Got picked again. I was in a couple of these games in the twos. I'm getting 40, 45 touches in the reserves playing for Hawthorne, which is sort of what you had to do to get picked. So I got picked again against Sydney and Sydney and kicked my only goal and thought I was probably right. And a few of the players said you should be right. And Anyway, I got dropped after that game, and that was it, really. So um, Alan Jeans told me at some stage later in the year when I was talking to him about it that I um, I ran too much and left my wing open, too open at times. If I didn't get the footy, they got exposed, and it was too risky. So he sort of made his mind up that they, they weren't going to pick me again, which was disappointing, um, seeing they picked me just for that reason, really. Yeah, yeah that um, is a bit bizarre. Yeah, because that was your strength. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know if they would have sacked me or not. They never said they were going to sack me. I went to Yabby Jeans and said I'm going home, and he said they had a, a few phone calls from I think three clubs that wanted to talk to me. And yeah, one of the big mistakes I made was I said no, nah, I'm going back to Glenelg, and you know why? Because I was petrified Glenelg were going to win a premiership without me in it, and the, as they nearly did. In '87, yeah. they got rolled, and I was a bit small-minded looking back. I should have toughed it out and stayed. I could have gone to Brisbane again, or I think it was Melbourne or Footscray back in the day. And I, I should have hung in there or stayed at Hawthorne and toughed it out because Hawthorne had a habit of making blokes play yes, the they did. for yeah. a long time yeah. back in those days. And there's a million examples of it, but it's probably one of the few, if not only, well, it's not the only re- regret of my footy career, but. It's nearly the main one, I'd say. So you came back, and then it's good though that full credit to you that when you came back, you were still very much switched on, huge Glenelg man, and yeah. So it was another, you know, five years, and to go through playing your two hundredth game would have been huge too, Simon. Yeah. For you <laughs> always being such a bloody Glenelg nut, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny story. I um, I actually played my two hundredth game. Um, <laughs> shows what a different world it was. I played my 200th game against Central District at at Elizabeth, and the people from the club and the cheer squad came up to me and said, "Look, it's just too hard and too far for your 200th for your for your banner. So we're going to do it the week after at um, Footy Park, and I think I've got a photo of it somewhere. It's um, congratulations." Tony Simons on 201 great games. <laughs> <laughs> that is a classic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it just cracks me up looking back now. But I was, oh, look, I was 
just couldn't wait to get back and play Glenelg. And I said to Laurie Rose one of the times, if I come back, I want my old number back, which they'd given away. He said, no, you'll get your number back and all the rest. So they called poor old Tony McTavish. He'd worn it for a year, had to take it, go back to number 11, um, um, which was probably a bit small-minded of me looking back. But I, I wanted my number back. It meant a lot to me. And um, I was always always going to go back to Glenelg. There's no... No chance I'd ever go anywhere else. There was no discussion on money. It was, I'm coming back, you know, pay me what you want to pay me. And um, I got injured the next couple of years um, pretty badly, you know, um, broken arm, you know, like through the, the top of my arm and stuff like that. And, um, oh, actually, sorry, that was before it. In fact, both those years, 84 and 86, for what it's worth, I probably missed seven or eight or nine or ten games both years, once with a a, um, a, a fractured thumb that they pinned and one with a broken jaw and cheekbone which I'd wired up for a month so when I came back I broke my arm right up the top near my shoulder like snapped it through got knocked into the fence at Glenelg Oval and that pretty much buggered um, 1988 up I tried to play again sort of four weeks earlier than I should have and it just didn't work out I played a bit of twos and desperately trying to get picked in the seniors for the grand final or prelim final but didn't happen so I had my share of it but I was yeah really really bought into it when I come back and I wanted to come back and use my experience from what I'd learned at Hawthorne and set better training standards and all the rest and it was probably you know one of the great disappointments we didn't win a did not win another one when I came back we had a few chances yeah. You then moved into uh, obviously coaching uh, in '95, and um, yeah, was yeah. that was that something that was on the on the radar initially, or was it something that uh, well, you, the you fell story into? Was, the actual story was I was sitting at the Seacliff Hotel with Chris McDermott at the end of 1992. Gee, why does that not surprise me? Yep, go on. <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, we'd always talk all of us about coaching and all the rest and Bone was still well and truly he's probably if he wasn't captain of the Crows, Tony would have been and um Chris just looked at me and said, Well you're gonna have to you're gonna have to coach Camille. So I'd been uh, sorry, I went to Vic, uh, Victor Harvard for two years, yeah, yeah. and uh Choco was coaching Glenelg and I remember and Choco and I have sorted this out since but Choco was in the paper saying that he would only coach Glenelg in 95 if he didn't get a better offer in the AFL. And I rang Glenn Elliott, who I'd never, had, had never even met in those days, and said, is this what we've come to? Someone will coach our great club if he doesn't get a better chance, a better opportunity. He said, oh, it's not quite like that. And Anyway, Bone said, well, you're going to have to pursue it. So I did pursue it through the board at the time. And they kept saying... There's no job there. Choco's doing it. I'm saying, well, that's not going to happen. And yeah, we were a bit yeah, clever the way we pursued it. Um, really, poor old Choco um, was probably looking for a slightly better deal, and Galil weren't going to give him that. And they knew I was sort of waiting in the wings. And looking back, I mean, you know, I was probably too young for it. I was 32. Um, you know, single. You know. Um, it was probably not the right call and I've said many times since, you know, really it would have been better for Glenelg if they'd kept Choco because he was a far better coach than I was ever going to be and um, it was hard for him because 
Glenelg people never took to him, yeah. being that he was a, a big Poor. Port Adelaide man. Yeah. Choco was very single-minded, as we all know, yeah. and was always going to do it his way, and that didn't endear him, you know, to our supporters. But, you know, I took over um, a bunch of blokes who were probably sad to see Choco finish up, to be quite frank. You know, Chiggy and Simon Hill and Alan Bartlett and blokes who'd been around for a little bit in those days. Um, and that I'd played with, you know, underneath would have um, would have been quite disappointed that Choco had, had had gone. So it probably wasn't a great move, but I, I loved it. But it was a tough time because we didn't have the infrastructure. And I was working full time at the at Lenny's or the Watermark, as sort of was becoming at the time, and um, I had a full time job down there. You know, running the bottle shop or or running the hotel at one stage and trying to coach Glenelg and he didn't have really any support. There was no football director as such. It was sort of Glenn Elliott as the CEO, then me as the coach, and then you had a junior development officer. So we're trying to do the recruiting and interviewing players and all the rest while you're doing yeah. a full-time job. So it was really not a great time in my life, and um, it took me a while to recover from it, to be quite frank, because, you know, they um, – well, a lot of people don't know, I, I had two one-year contracts. I never had a two-year contract. I had two one-year contracts. Right. So I was fighting for my survival um, every week, and I think both years we started off pretty well. We might have won four or five of our first seven or eight games, I reckon, but we just couldn't hold it together for whatever reason. And When you're fighting for your survival, you make a few rash decisions, and yep. I was arguing with the board about stuff that didn't matter, and arguing with supporters after games and, you know, front pages of the paper for fighting with spectators and rubbish like that, um, which was counterproductive to what we were trying to do. If I could have survived one more year, if I could have got into my third year, I reckon I might have done it for quite a while, but I didn't survive and um, got the sack and uh, went back to Victor Harbour for a year. <laughs> and so, a bit sad, really. Your time, though, you've been in the pub game for a long time now, Simo, and I really want to commend you that. You, you're really a community person in the, in the pubs. Let's also be honest, you certainly helped a fellow player in Alan Stringer, and we were, we're going to try and get strings on at some yep. stage. Um, yep. You helped Alan, Alan out. And I, I really want to emphasise people out there, uh, Tony sees the whole picture. So we mucked around a bit here. We have the Nord Glenelg stuff and a bit of, bit of fun. But mm. I want to commend Tony that he sees whole community and does a lot of things behind the scenes for a lot of different community outlets and sees the whole disability sector and all that side mm. of things. So a massive, mm. a massive thank you, society. Thank you probably is as good a way of phrasing it as any. But yeah, well, yeah you get it, from, you get it. As mate. you know, he was going through a pretty tough trot for many reasons, as tough as anyone's done it, to be honest, and. Um, yeah, I, I used to ring him a bit, try and get him to some of the Glenelg functions and even the SNFL pass players function that I've been chairman of for um, maybe 15 years. And um, Alan actually used to say, no, I've passed all that, Simon, thanks for calling, but I'm not interested. And I sort of kept ringing him and eventually we got met up and got talking about where he was at and... Mm. He was thinking about maybe getting back into a bit of work. And I said, well, let's just come and do something with the Warrenale and a bit of gardening and all the rest. And I just sort of got him involved again in 
in the community and um, it was good for a while. He met some people and made some good friends there and he'd have a beer after, after work and all the rest of it. So um, he went through a pretty tough trot. Yeah. And as we know, yeah. a lot of blokes from the 80s at a lot of clubs have been through something similar and there just wasn't the support mechanism around in those days as there is now. And it wasn't all right to call out for help either as it is now. Oh, look, we're going through it with Nord at the moment. Um, there's still a lot of... While we've improved, there's still a hell of a long way to go for blokes to admit, yeah. hey, I'm yeah. I'm struggling, I'm I'm not okay. And yeah, look, yeah. I'll be honest, when I brought up to Pete that I was gonna get try and get Tony to come on out come on on our show, I I, I did think of this this angle yeah. as well. And I, I do really think it's yeah, it is something we've got better, but geez, we've still got a long way to go, Simon. Oh, have we ever? And um you know, there's there's blokes at every club that I mean, some of the clubs the stories are just terrible as yeah. as we know, um, with with terribly sad endings, um, and uh, you know I've you know I've had a bit to do with players from other clubs too that I've got to know over the years as you know Malcolm yeah um, um because they're just really good guys and you you move on from football stuff and if you don't you're a mug. Yeah, um, exactly. because there's there's a bigger picture, and um, yeah, I, you know, there's some sad stories around, but um, there is a bit of support around now. You just got the trouble is, as we all know, um, people are good liars, so yes. it's all well and good to you know um, share stuff on Facebook and 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 um, all the rest of it, or but you got to ring blokes, you got to meet with them, yeah. you got to look in their eyes and see what's going on, you know, through their eyes. Because yeah. blokes are very, very good liars for, yep. for so many reasons. And, um, yeah, you really need to get face-to-face with guys and really ask them and, and, and don't always believe them. Ask them more questions and, and say, well, you know, what do you, really, what do you really mean? Well, what's really going on? Yeah. And, and if you call them out a bit, quite often they'll sort of look and go, well, maybe, maybe they can tell. You get more out of them, so but but it's a fine line, boys, as we know. Yeah. And of course, Glenelg delivering this year, so yeah, you, you uh, certainly had that highlight a couple of weeks ago, mate. Yeah, it was just um, a river day. I mean, you know, we've got a bad history of losing them at Glenelg, as we all know, but we were clearly the best side all year. I only saw, to be fair, four or five games because I was out. My son was playing footy yeah, for Sacred Heart yep. this year, yep. so. I was out watching him um, every week, but when when I had the opportunity, I gave him an L game. It just looked like we were so well drilled, and it looked like we were sort of a long way ahead of most of the sides that I saw. So it would have been a travesty if we didn't win it. But uh, ironically, and not, not being that close to it, I, I saw the game where we beat uh, Sturt by 105 points at the Bay. Um, yep in round 10, I think it was, and Sturt had a couple of their better players out that week with the flu, and what I thought was that if we can beat the undefeated side, as they were at that stage, by 100 points, they must have played a few blokes who were crooked as well that day because they just weren't very good. So clearly the team we played in the grand final was a good side and full credit to Sturt. You know, they probably had a few players out and we had a couple out, but they probably had more players out and tough to ride out. And, you know, to get within four goals, to be honest, was, a I reckon, a really good effort on the stairs for half. But I sort of felt like we were a seven or eight goal 
better side, but who cares on grand final day? You just want to get over the line. But it's really funny sort of watching it now. It's been, you know, I haven't played since 1992. So sort of, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And you, the sirens come and you feel it coming. You stand up and you, you sort of get a tear in your eye. And I did the same thing standing next to Stephen Coonahan in 2019 when we yeah. were. You know, and, and sort of my kids have never seen me cry or anything, but you get a tear in your eye and you sort of got to take your sunglasses off to wipe your eyes a couple of minutes after the siren. And it's sort of embarrassing, but I suppose it sort of shows you what it still means to you to see the club been in such a terrific spot and you know he would have said it the year before with Nord oh, bloody oath. Getting, getting yeah. over the, getting over the line the year before and, and and what it means to so many people and so many supporters and you know I see it all the time you know hotels are sort of around the Galilg area and you just see what it means to people and um yeah it was a, a real um thrilling day and I didn't have too much to do with the boys on the Sunday after the game but they all came back, you know, the seniors and the reserves and all the the entire coaching group. We had them at the Morford Arms on um, on Monday all day from yeah. about 11 o'clock through to 7 or 8 o'clock. And I settled in a bit with them on that day and had a few beers and a real good catch up with coaches and players and some of the guys that I've had a bit to do with over the years. Um, you know, one-on-one situations like Lockie Hosey and Max Proud and blokes like that. So that that's when it really starts hitting the home, doesn't it? So great, great time. I, I think a lot of that also comes from the you know Glenelg were to be honest with you on their knees a few years ago, and um, mm. a, a mm. lot of the the work that has gone on behind the scenes to uh, to turn things around. I think. Uh, not only is a credit to the club, but I think it just means so much to obviously past players and. Oh, Nick Chick Whitten's been and, vital in that way. Keith Coleman, he, Keith Coleman's a bloody legend yeah. amongst you, you Glenelg guys. Uh, yeah, past players amazing. wise and that. Yeah, you you do yeah, a fantastic job, Glenelg. I've got to yeah. be fair. Yeah, no, well, so do North, mate. You know, they the group they get on the hill there and all the rest, and we run that bar on the where the old grandstand yeah. was and. You know, any home game you go to, there'll be 15 or 20 of the boys working in the bar or, or having a drink, normally more than that, to be honest. And Keith drives all that. And, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, Peter Carey was president and still on the board, and he still does his shifts yeah. in, the, in the bar. Yep, so I've seen Piggy that. And, yep. uh, Bob Whelan, who's the, um, you know, David Whelan, who's our current president, he does his shifts, you know, in the bar nearly every home game in between all this other stuff. And it's sort of a good catch-up time anyway, but it's just incredible the amount of guys who get around it. It's like a day out. It helps a bit when the, the footy's going well on the ground, but it just shows you, you know, the strength of your footy club is runs from your board, your president and your board downwards. And, you know, we've had an amazing board over the last 10 or 12 or 14 years. Blokes who've done it for a long, long time and have been committed, and the only way they can get off the board now is when they introduce their replacement, it's got to be someone of a similar calibre, and that's how it works now, and, yeah. you know, the results, you know, you know. They do speak for themselves, yeah. Well, poor old Brett Hand at the end, too, yeah, you know, I, you know yeah. cutting him loose after making the finals two years in a row was was pretty a pretty tough decision. Everyone really liked Brett. He's a ripper bloke. He's a great bloke, He was doing a pretty good job, but the club thought, they had to make the call, and in the end, it's a strong board that does that, and rightly or wrongly, they, they got a result this year. So, 
Uh, not easy times to make those calls, and there's a lot of sympathy around for Brett. I'm sure he doesn't want our sympathy, but he did a great job and was a very popular bloke around the footy oh, club. He's a great bloke, the Brett. Day, the footy club probably got to say they got it right because we won a flag. So not easy, but um, yeah. Obviously, he's a, with him still. Yeah. yeah, the Nord link with Brett because he played at Nord, at Nord and that, and yeah, some couple other links with with Brett with the Robinson yeah. fam, family yeah. and that. So he was um, very well liked around Galloa and Tia. Yeah, Didn't look, have any any enemies around the footy club. Full credit to Brett; he's back in the te- in the teaching game now, and yeah, so yeah. look, huge credit. He'll probably live he'll live a lot longer doing that. Although that, that's not that easy either. <laughs> yeah. But it's um it's probably a bit easier than coaching, mate. We've all been there. And we'll finish off. I'm currently looking at a photo of Tony Simons uh, carrying the ball with a pioneer. Holmes is Glenelg's sponsor. You're actually holding the ball to kick on your left there, Simo, on a. Uh, Beer can in front of me, so I've started a bit of work with print wrap packs. So if oh, there's, yeah. uh, That's right. yeah. and it does look fan. It's a great photo of you, Simo. We will put that on our page as well. And just Pete's nodding in the background here. So anyone yeah. out there could contact us or Malcolm Rubel Cashwood on Facebook as well. Um, yeah, well, yeah, as you so, know, Malcolm. Yeah, so. I mean, any football club. I took. Um, we had a 1993 Premiership reunion this year at Victor Harbour Football Club 30-year reunion. I was captain coach. Yep. And um, I got four cartons of those cans done up with the team photos. Yeah. For, and we sold them as six-packs down there, 50 bucks a six-pack, and we should have got more made. Um, and that's the sort of thing yeah. I'll be out and amongst with clubs trying to get clubs over the line in that regard as well. And as so. you know, you've just got to email the photo through and, and next minute they bring you a can and show you what it looks like. And it's, it's just incredible yeah. what, what they can do with this. So, yeah, good luck with that. I think I think that'll be a lot of fun for you. You'll be you'll be just the right bloke to be doing it, mate, I reckon. I'll be having a crack, so I don't worry about that. Yeah, I know you will. I know you will. Oh, brilliant. Hey, look, Tony, greatly appreciate having you, having you on board. Uh, yeah, I admit... Go the bloody base, yeah, and that's a no, no. Well done, mate. Seriously, great stuff, and greatly appreciated. And I really, uh, more importantly, appreciate your role, what you do out community wise as well. No, thanks, guys. Lovely to talk to you, and um, hope there's something there that you can use and uh, gives you know a little bit of entertainment for whoever might be listening. Uh, we have plenty of listeners uh, that listen in each week, and they uh, always look forward to our segments with our past players, past legends, and. Well done to Glenelg, and I know you're uh, you're reveling in uh, in their victory, and who knows they might go back to back. Great, hope you're right. All the best, boys. Great Ca- talking to you. Catch Thanks, up mate. soon. Thanks, Simo. Cheers, guys. Bye. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. 